Hi, I'm George Stocker, and this is Last Week in .NET for the week of July 18, 2020. GitHub, the popular source control system for open source projects, which is owned by Microsoft, has been caught trying to continue its contracts with ICE, you know, that government agency that puts children in cages, by getting a contract award from ICE through Dell Federal Systems. Now, all of this may be on the up and up. Dell sells GitHub Enterprise to ICE as a reseller, GitHub gets plausible deniability, and ICE gets to use the Cool Kids source control system. But it's still morally bankrupt for GitHub to take this contract, for an amount, I might add, that totals $79,312.50, or roughly the same amount Microsoft should have given Kevin for using his work on AppGet in their WindGet package manager solution. Special thanks to Dave Copeland for making me aware of this. Twitter is sometimes a beautiful thing. GitHub offers to let non-US employees do the same job for half the pay. Microsoft's GitHub recently acquired NPM, and they apparently offered to reduce non-US employees' compensation by up to 50% to do the same job. In the year of our Lord 2020, it is very impressive that a company like GitHub, who are still reeling from their morally bankrupt decision to keep an ICE contract worth $79,000, would stoop so low as to get existing employees of NPM to quit by offering them half the money to do the same job. When we call supporting ICE morally bankrupt, that's not meant to inspire you to be a villain, GitHub. Microsoft reported and released a fix for CVE-2020-1147, a .NET Core remote code execution vulnerability. If you accept XML input, this advisory affects you. .NET Core 2.1.19, .NET Core 3.1.5, and .NET 5 Preview 6 are all vulnerable. This is fixed in the latest version of .NET Core 3.1.6 and will hopefully be fixed in the next preview release of .NET 5. If you're running Visual Studio 2019 version 16.4, you need to update .NET Core to SDK 3.1.106. If you're running Visual Studio 2019 16.5 or later, update to SDK 3.1.302 and then curse version numbers loudly like I'm about to. And if you use Windows DNS Server, and chances are your enterprise does, there's another remote code execution vulnerability that is apparently wormable, but at least some InfoSec people seem to think it won't turn into a big problem. This being 2020, I'm not holding my breath. .NET Core 2.1.20 has been released this fixes the aforementioned RCE, and apparently nothing else. Also, if you run any self-contained applications in .NET Core, these are applications that have the runtime, the application, and all of its dependencies bundled in one package. If you run any of these, you need to update all of your self-contained applications. Now, this is an advantage we used to have with .NET Framework, is that someone else had to take care of framework upgrades. Now, if you run self-contained applications like desktop applications or console applications, you have to. So this now has to be a part of your entire update cadence. Act accordingly. Stack Overflow, one of the largest developer sites on the internet, which is built on ASP.NET MVC and currently being ported to .NET Core, has a video out where Nick Craver, their architectural lead, talks about the styles of attacks Stack Overflow has received in its time on the internet. Now, this is a really interesting video. And it's really important for you if you run a public-facing website. It's a good watch. 
The .NET developer team released a blog post about performance improvements in .NET 5, and I'm really excited about this. The faster C-sharp gets and the faster .NET gets, the less we have to worry about using a language like Go or Rust for high-performance situations. I don't use Rust, but anyone that does will tell you within seconds of meeting you. Anyway, having an easy-to-use toolchain to write fast code is good for all of us. It's really good for our economic prospects, if I'm being honest. .NET 5, remember, is just .NET Core in a trench coat. Microsoft is going directly from .NET Core 3 to .NET 5 because, awkwardly, they already have a .NET 4. I have lots of jokes to make about Microsoft's marketing. But I want to be clear about this. Microsoft has 20 years of inertia about the, around the .NET framework. And there are lots of problems with trying to rewrite your platform. But it's working, and I really have to give them credit for what they've done. Binary formatter will finally be tossed off a bridge. There's a pull request out in the .NET repo to talk about how they're going to get rid of binary formatter. It now takes two lines of code to generate a SHA-256 hash in .NET 5. This is really cool. One of the chief problems that I've had in .NET is trying to use it for easy things, like reading a file or, well, let's face it, hashing data. Now, the fact that they made this two lines of code is really pretty awesome, and it means that they're paying attention to small API improvements that can make our day better. Special thanks to Kevin Jones, at VCS Jones on Twitter, for making me aware of this. Windows Community Toolkit 8.0.0 Preview 2 for WinUI 3 Preview 2 has been released, and that's the announcement. There's no more time to say anything else, because saying the name of the project took long enough. If you write .NET desktop applications, then you should check out WinUI 3 Preview 2. It's going to be the way that you develop desktop.NET applications in .NET 5, so check it out now. ImageShark passed 6 million downloads, and an exposure angel got their wings. The creator of ImageShark, James South, laments on Twitter getting 6 million downloads on an open-source project that probably doesn't pay the bills. At this point in open-source software, you either go with the AGPL, or you get to the point where you wish you had now a correction, I had understood .NET MAUI to be a codename for .NET 6. It's not. Now it'll be part of .NET 6, and it is called MAUI. MAUI is capitalized because it's an acronym. I should have known, of course. We're programmers and we love acronyms. Anyway, MAUI stands for Multi-Platform App UI. Or for the rest of us, Cross-Platform UIs. Finally, something that will be faster in Electron and have less users to boot. Seriously, though, I'm pretty happy this is happening, though I hope Microsoft will take this time to realize that cross-platform UIs are probably done best in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and not XAML. Actually, scratch that. Cross-platform UIs are terrible in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, but it's ubiquitous, and that's what matters. And it looks like there will be a few app models supported. Model View View Model, or MVVM, Reactive UI, or RxUI, MVU, which is Model View Update, and Blazor. Apparently, developers create their own blog engines, and UI frameworks write their own rendering patterns. In the pretty freaking cool library of the week, if you're using .NET, whether it's framework or core, and you want to benchmark your code, you should be using Benchmark.net. It's called Benchmark because that's what it does, and they slap the .NET moniker on the end because that's what library authors for .NET do. Since this is .NET, their alternatives were nBenchmark and BenchmarkSharp. I'm glad that Benchmark.NET won. Anyway, Benchmark.NET lets you set up runs against your code. You can profile code in multiple ways. 
and then it'll accurately benchmark how fast that code is, what sort of memory usage it has, and a few other neat sundries about it. Now if you're using system.timer, don't. Use benchmark.net instead. This is not a sponsored ad, but I think benchmark.net is pretty cool. In updates for the .NET Foundation, they have an open pull request for changes to their bylaws to allow for a seven-day comment period before a change would be voted on or take effect. This is both good and bad. Good part is .NET Foundation is opening up changes to their bylaws with pull requests and letting people uh, see them and comment on them. This is good. The bad part is, is that their default is seven days. It's not nearly enough time to shape decisions about how the organization itself should run. Now, there's no reason to set the bylaw changes at seven days. No organization needs to move so fast that it can only have seven days of comments. The .NET Foundation also has interviews up with all of the candidates for the election of the board. They did YouTube interviews with each of them. This is a wonderful practice, and I hope it continues. Now, if you aren't already a member of the .NET Foundation and you're listening to this, you should be. Decisions are made by those that show up, and those decisions affect all of us that use .NET. You can become a member of the .NET Foundation on the .NET Foundation website at .netfoundation.org. On July 30th, there's a .NET Conf focused on microservices. That's what they're calling it. This conference is for people who want to add the word microservices to their resume. Now, the .NET Conf itself is going to be on November 10th through the 12th, and it's online only. It's the 10th year of this event. Happy birthday. If you're not a fan of sitting through three days of online events, and I get it, I'll be live-tweeting it. And in preparation, you can go ahead and block me now. And that's what happened last week in .NET. I'm George Stalker, and if your team is struggling with regression bugs, delivering software on time, and wants a workday where you actually get to leave at 5 p.m., you should visit www.doubleyearproductivity.io and reach out. Now, if you like this podcast, please forward it to your friends and ask them to subscribe at podcast.lastweekend.net. And if you hated it, please forward it to your enemies. Thanks.